Hey everybody, this is Michael Rosso, film photography podcast, the internet radio show for people who love to shoot film. And this is our last show for 2015. We'll be entering our seventh year next year. And when I started the film photography project back in 2009, I had no idea that it would grow into the global community of film shooters that it has become. The center of the Film Photography Project, of course, is this very podcast, twice monthly, our online website, instructional videos, our walking workshop, our get-togethers, our online store, and our ongoing school donation programs. The school donation programs have blossomed into a very robust and active community. And I want to thank everyone out there that has contributed to the Film Photography Project, whether it's contributing funds or sending us cameras you find at garage sales from your personal collection. Cameras that work, cameras that we organize and then donate back out to schools. And this has been our most active year yet with hundreds of cameras going out to schools in 2015. And it's not over yet. Just in December of this year, we have organized a fleet of Nikon SLR cameras going to Children of NATO. That's right, the package is being shipped to the military, which will wind up in the Benelux region, distributed to a class teaching children film photography. These are children of NATO members, and it's a very exciting program. And I also heard from FPP listener Joshua Harrison, who we met in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And we will be donating a group of cameras to the Kalamazoo School. I love saying that word. Kalamazoo. Kalamazoo. But a big thank you for my on-air hosts, Matt Mirage, Leslie Lazenby, John Fideli, Mark Dalzell, Dane Johnson, and to Mr. Mark O'Brien. He has been a huge help this year helped organize our last photo walk this past October. Big thanks to everyone that has visited the FPP online store because it is only, it is only the donations that you make to the FPP and any proceeds from the FPP online store that keeps this show on the air. There would be no film photography project without you. So thanks a lot folks out there that have developed their first rolls of black and white film. The folks out there that have developed their first rolls of color film. The folks out there that have developed your first rolls of E6 color slide film. Amazing. E6. The joy of taking photography into your own hands, processing your own film, and doing your own film scans. Everything is within your reach. It's very exciting. Big round of applause for all of us supporting film photography and we'll be right back with the show now what you get me for christmas yep got a motor yep bucket seats no seats you stand up in it nobody ever has give me a hint well you press a button and it gives you a prize you got me a gumball machine it's a lot of fun for everybody it's the simplest one in the world got a motor, you press a button, it's the simplest one in the world. You didn't. It's a one step. But you get those free. Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is Film Photography Podcast. My name is Michael Rosso. Yes, end of the year. Super positive. Uh, December 15th, 2015. Happy holidays! Yay. Happy holidays! Yay. I'm here in the studios with uh, Mr. Mark O'Brien, <laughs> Leslie Lazenby. Did you pick up that camera bag I wanted for Christmas down at uh, yeah. Camera Mall? I did. Good. <laughs> and Mr. Matt Moran. So uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff. Uh, Matt's going to come in at the beginning because he has to hit the rickety road. I get back to Midwest. That's right. Midwest camera. That, that crazy camera Mid- shopping time of the year, man. Midwest mm-hmm. photo exchange. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, we're going to get right to it. And Matt has... Um, I've got a, a darkroom tip, but it's also uh, what's number one on my Xmas list this year. It's a compensating darkroom timer. And this is another great tip that I gleaned from uh, Mr. Alan Ross. Please tell us. Tell uh, us what it is. And- okay. So he had that totally 21st century digital darkroom like I talked to you guys about. Yes. For I just keep... I won't shut up about it. Yeah. Uh, it's He was using a MacBook 
as his darkroom timer. I was like, okay, there's no gray lab in here. How are we going to do? We're gonna, and he pulls out this old MacBook that was maybe 10 years old or something. And he started up a program. And then he put a piece of plex, red plexi over the, the screen of his Mac. And he plugs in a USB. And he puts a little probe into the developer. And that's how we got perfect times. No yeah, matter out. his darkroom is not the most temperature controlled. You know, it's 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 hot Santa Fe in the summer. We had chemistry that went for anywhere from seventy one degrees to seventy six degrees over the course of three hours. So not too bad. So but a thermometer? Yeah, there's a, a temper a USB powered temperature probe that wow. ran into the computer. The computer had some software that would compensate the developing time based on the current temperature, so you always are developing for the perfect amount of time. You blow my mind. I know. Well, he sells it. It's a a product, yeah. Oh, Mike um, doesn't need it, though. It's it's six minutes, right? Yeah, that's 68 degrees. That's right. Yeah, but (laughs) how do you know what's 68 degrees? You're right. What about a manual thermometer? But see, Uh, then you got to use your, then you got to do math. Think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, This is paying someone to not do math. Is it 10%? Um, Do I add? Do I add 20%? Do I reduce it by 40%? Oh, I got to subtract 12%. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Freeze your mind up for other things, Exactly, for other things, like like not doing math. (laughs) Uh, So Mm -hmm. this was a a piece of software. It's a combination. It's a piece of software and the little USB probe that's approved for the the piece of software. I'm sure there are very intelligent uh, FPP listeners that are vigorously working on apps as we speak to do it. Um, They're currently in development, I think, of a, a... and a friendly app that combines with this probe, but that's the the hard integration part at this point. iPads and iPhones don't accept USB devices easily, no. mm-hmm. um, and a Wi-Fi one would just be ridiculous. Uh, but this was a piece <laughs> of software year. developed by uh, Mr. Kurt Palm, and it's uh, a combination of, like I said, the software and the timer. It's 195 for the the whole the whole kit, and that also comes with a little instructional uh, CD-ROM uh, with everything on there, or DVD now, yeah, um, that has like a, a quick readme to it. But it's it's about as easy as it gets. You open it up, and then any key on the laptop becomes start and stop. So you just you just slam smack. it, you know? Yeah, you smack it, smack Baby away slam. at it, yeah. Baby slam. And it's crazy how quick how how the slightest temperature difference actually really does affect. That so when um, we had everything for sixty eight degrees, once it's seventy two in there, that clock is flying and and it helps you visualize. Wow, this is what te- you know. We all think you know black and white is pretty easy, but if the temperature starts fluctuating, we could be wildly over or under developing things, and this keeps it dead on. Right. So and even and and he was a uh, when I was at the workshop with Alan, he even demonstrated through a piece of ice in the developer tray and like. This is what cooling it down does to it and just shows how – and it reacts so quickly. It's always giving information from the from the probe there. Now, this probe doesn't actually let off any heat. It doesn't keep your temperature. No, it's just – it's like a little metal – it's just like a thermometer. Right, right. It's like the end of a thermometer, and then it also comes with a little acrylic piece to attach it to a tray. Right. So it's always like standing at the right angle to get it. It's – it's a great little device worth every worth every penny just because now I know – 68 is 68 is 68. Even if it's the middle of winter and the, the water's like, I know the water's cold because the heater hasn't caught up. Or, oh, it's summer. I know the water's not going to get cold. So right. it, for folks that are using I, what I call the 21st century darkroom, which isn't optimal, wow. but we've got it's the space we've got, this is the perfect thing to do. And then if you need a piece of uh, plexi cut to fit, uh, Alan does that. And you can contact uh, Mr. Alan Ross and he can cut you uh, a piece for that. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, this brings back the whole thing talked a few shows ago about being able to get the same results time and time again. Yeah, no matter where you're at. Right. Exactly. When I'm loading film in the darkroom, I have to make sure I close up the iPad and stick it inside the cabinet. Oh, yeah. Yes. you got to hide so it. So I don't hide it. And then when I'm done, I can bring it back out again. I always hide my phone. But I phone. can still hear you in the, in the closet. Yeah, same thing with the phone. You have in mm-hmm. pocket and you're doing something in the dark room and yep. all of a sudden... Someone calls you and like, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, cool. Yeah, wow. so that's definitely on the the Xmas list. Okay. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, Santa's listening. Or, or Lauren. Uh, right. I'll take either. <laughs> or uh, Strudel. Strudel. Or the Zill. Or the Zill. Yeah. yeah. Right. Gotta buy some leg warmers for that dog. Oh. Yes. <laughs> this is a. a Greyhound. A rescue Greyhound. Yeah. Rescue Greyhound. Yeah, so now we have a, a long short and a gangly sprint. Nice, very nice. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Matt. 
Oh, no problem. Well, uh, I wish you guys the happiest of holidays, the merriest of Xmases, and the happiest of New Year's. Oh, thank you very much. You're hitting the road. Right now. Right now. See you guys. Bye. And what we're listening to is uh, a band, one of my favorite bands, Low, L-O-W. And this is their, from their Christmas LP, their song, Just Like Christmas, which came out in 1999 on the Cranky, yes, Cranky, K-R-A-N-K-Y, Cranky, label. And if you Google that, you will be able to find this vinyl. The Google. As well as... Their other music, you can also find them on Spotify. They're a great indie band. Love them. And also, you will hear later on some music that John, Fideli, and I recorded live for the Meadowlands Showcase back in 1988. Most notable, Looking for Santa by the Hungry Dutchman, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen by Frank Jolliffe on the Chapman Stick, Bob Router, Christmas Song, and Limit, Silent Night. It has been a vinyl fantastic year here at FPP amongst myself and John Fideli. We have a few episodes of the Vinyl Record Podcast recorded, and we have, sadly, because of the busyness, because of the tight schedule here at the FPP, we have been unable to, as of yet, launch that in a regular time slot, hopefully sometime soon. So we'll be right back. Hey folks, Michael Rosso here, and I'm here to tell you about the Holiday Gift Guide 2015. That's right, from the Film Photography Store, the greatest store on earth, the only place where you can get the famous FPP hand-rolled 35mm film. There's some great things over there, some great film-tastic items over there. You can just log on to filmphotographyproject.com. Click the store button or check out the latest blog, which is the Filmtastic FPP Holiday Gift Guide, written by, yes, that's right, yours truly, that's me. Some exciting things to give the perfect gift for the film photographer in your life, or you. Gift yourself. Why the heck not? Eastman Double X 19 Rolls in an authentic Eastman Double X film can. Vision 3 film now comes in a 12-roll box. You get 9 rolls of Vision 3 film plus 3 bonus rolls of a low ISO Vision stock. The new FPP Color Infrared camera. It's an ultra-wide and slim camera with a DIY filter that I put on it for you so you could shoot color infrared film in this awesome point-and-shoot camera. What's the most fun film format? 110 film? Well, Matt Marash may not agree, but we all love 110 film, and we now carry the Ikimono Flash. It's a little cute little camera that has a built-in flash. It's brand new, and certainly it would make a fun gift for anyone. Looking for film that's cheap and good? You may say, it's not possible. But yes, it is. The FPP EDU line of 35mm black and white film. It comes in a nine-roll box, or you could buy rolls individually for $3.99 each. Zoics. The word is out that Shmina film is fantastic. We've been chatting about it here on the podcast. And now there are two filmtastic boxes. A nine-roll box, the Shmina black and white sampler, has some FN64, Photo 100, Photo 200, Photo 400, and some Tasma film. And a Shmina low ISO sampler. That's right. Low. ISO sampler. The FPP Pentax K1000 t-shirt 
That's the only official FPP t-shirt is $12.99. Retro Chrome. Color slide film in a Kodak can. Whoa. The FPP store is now stocked with 35mm SLR cameras. And of course, our FPP Plastic Filmtastic 120 toy camera is still available. And each one sold comes with a free roll of film. The FPP store is now fully stocked with automatic land cameras. And of course, Super, Super 8. We've been covering it all through 2015. The 50th year of Super 8, a big celebration. We now carry Super 8 film in our store. Head on over to filmphotographystore.com. Pick up some stuff for yourself, stuff as gifts, and support the FPP. Hey, we're back. Hey, Mark. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, crappy cameras from the 1940s through the 1960s. Two decades. Two decades. Yeah. And I'm going to narrow that down a bit more because there were a lot of U.S.-made crappy cameras, and that's what we're going to talk about. And um, there were, I call them trashy cameras from the USA, 30s to the 60s. Most of those shot 127 film. Oh. Mm-hmm. And back in the day, they called it minicam film. Is that right? Yeah, and uh, so I guess thirty-five millimeter was miniature. Yes, but these it guys was are, miniature. And today we think thirty-five millimeter is normal, right? Um, and we think of one twenty-seven as larger. Yeah, we do. Uh-huh. And they thought one twenty-seven as, as minicam, but also the they called it the best pocket too because all the best pocket cameras yeah. that Kodak made used one twenty-seven. And for folks listening, this is a, a roll film. That um, if you look around on the web, you can still find, I think, some FK, 127, black and white. Rarapan. And, Rarapan. And it's rumored that, you know, sometime in the near future, maybe there will be some more, maybe from Film Ferrania. So We can only hope. There are lots of cameras out there. And mm-hmm. Certainly take it away, Mark. Yeah. And so there was a number of what I call, again, crappy cameras, trashy cameras, whatever, that came out of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And most of these shot 127 film. They had a very the the shapes were very similar. Some of a few of them, like the, there's one called the Photomaster, made in USA, that looks a lot like one of the cameras that Lomo is selling now. And I forget which one is it. Sardinia. The, no, not the Sardinia. Oh. Um, I think it's the, the Sprocket camera. Maybe I think it might be one of those. Anyway, but these these cameras are made of mostly either Bakelite or some other thermoplastic. They had uh, fairly rudimentary lenses on them, Vir- virtually no other control except for a shutter, and maybe instant and time would, would be the two things they would have control over. So you could, almost like a Holga in that respect, even cruder. The... Uh, they, some of them had this Art Deco streamlined design and so forth. There were a, a number of companies. One was called Utility Manufacturing Company. It was oh in my. New York and Chicago. They had what were called the Falcon Mini Cams, which took 127 roll, roll film. There was also another, a larger camera called the Falcon Press Flash, which took which took six by nine centimeter film. Probably used one six twenty. Um, it was a Bakelite camera. It had a huge flash bulb. We talked about that. Did you talk about it that? It was the first camera with a built-in flash. That's it was right. a flash bulb, but it was still built it, in. And it looked like I believe like, it took a number eleven bulb. And, and there were screw ins. Oh. Yeah, and then you had to take the paper off the batteries to get the batteries in the slot. Oh. Even back then, that's how the instruction manual put it. They were paper wrapped then. Okay. I don't know how, QC, you know, how to get through. <laughs> but yes, cool camera. And there were a few others. There was Shaw and Her- the Shaw Harrison Company. They had the Sabre and the Valiant. And you often in times would see these Sabre cameras. They're very simple box cameras, different colors. Um, took 620 film. And they were made from 1956 to 1972, which is quite a long run. And they're usually in bubble wrap or, um, I guess, they're plastic. What do they call that? With where it's plastic, it's made in the shape of the object inside. Oh, like a clamshell. 
Kind of like but, a clamshell, and it would cover the camera, and it would have like a little instruction sheet. They are very cheap things, and you would probably find them sometimes maybe at like carnivals and so forth as mm-hmm. prizes. Seymour Products in Chicago, Seymour Products. I like that. <laughs> uh, they they sold the Dick Tracy cameras oh. and the Flashmaster, which is another like the Falcon Press Flash. Bakelite 127 cameras. Fotac Corporation in Chicago also is the same as U.S. Camera Corporation. These companies seem to rotate names and, and people who are at the top. Uh, FOTAC, P-H-O-T-A-K, was around from 1948 to 1960. They had what was called the Foldex Folding 120 camera, so it was like had a bellows in it. And the cool thing about the Foldex, it took... Because it took 120 or 620, it would take both of those. I know I've used used one in the past, and others had used it to re-spool 120 on the 620 spools. Sweet in the camera because you yes. can just sit there and do it all in the dark in the light with it in the camera and no. not have to mess that. with it. Occasionally, yes. yes. And another one that they made, which I thought was sort of like a little miniature lunchbox, the Traveler 120, really crude, all metal body. Had a very, like a sighting tube along the top and a rudimentary lens in the front. I shot with one of those a long time ago. There's probably some pictures up on the web somewhere. It took, I think it took 120. Again, you can imagine you would have very Holga-like results for those cameras. Then there was also Metropolitan Industries in Chicago. They made box cameras. Uh, more of the 127 mini cams. They had the thing called the Clixoflex, which is a 127 pseudo twin lens reflex. You had a, it's basically a box camera with a mirror and looking down through the, into a little ground plastic, it's a ground plastic, not ground glass, and looking through a viewing lens and then the taking lens. But again, it was pretty much instamatic or instant in time and used 127 i shot with one i had some color uh 127 film one time and it was, gave you kind of a okay results for something like that i mean they're not very big um and there was Irwin, new york in new york state new york city and it was a candor um and they made the sardine can ones that you see that were copied it was the candors or Irwin company Candor and the Lark were the two models that they came out with. Um, and those also took 127. Then there was <laughs> the Herald Manufacturing Company in Chicago. Oh. And the Herbert George Company in Chicago. Yeah, I've heard of, yeah. Yes. And they're basically the same company. Herald Manufacturing made the more 127 Bakelite cameras, the Spartus 35, which were 35 millimeter cameras. I've had I've had those in the past, really junky. Um, they had, you know, everything about these screams rip off if you you know, if you thought you were buying a quality camera. And there was a Herbert George company in Chicago, they had the Herco, the Imperial Debonair, and the Imperial Mark 12. In different colors, and some of these are very collectible because they came out with different colors. People buy them because they're retro they're and they, expensive on eBay, right? Are now. they? Yes. Okay, I remember buy, paying five or six dollars for one, Mm-mm. and uh, and they're because there's whole focus on mid-century modern stuff, and everyone's interested in the in that retro look. I mean, I, I can see where these would go up in value. To be honest, they were cheap six twenty cameras. They were just box cameras. Um, they had some had external flashes, some did not. General Products in Chicago had the Candex, a 127 black Bakelite camera. Most of these cameras were probably aimed at young people. They were probably somewhere in the back of catalogs or magazines or whatnot, and they weren't probably weren't very expensive, a few bucks at the time. In some cases, they they had flashy packaging and all that, but the basic camera itself was nothing. And so many times you would come across these when you when you found them used. You could tell they still had the original roll of film that was in them because someone may have gotten one, shot a couple exposures with it, and said, this is a piece of junk. I'm putting it back in the box. And that's where it stayed for another mm-hmm. 40 years. The, so, the, uh, the Imperial, the colored, okay. uh, yep. they, they are from twenty nine ninety nine to ninety nine ninety nine. No way. i got to wow. get the ones out of my window yeah. at work that are... I don't want them to fade. No, it's yeah. true. I'm not saying anyone's buying but, them. Right. But that's sure. what they, people are if asking. You, yeah. If you want to buy them. And yeah. if you go on Etsy where they have the vintage oh. stuff, it's probably even more expensive. Yeah. 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 And so the interesting thing about these, in, in terms of the ones that were located in Chicago, it was basically the same design would be used by a, a company with a different name. 
and maybe just very slight changes. At the at the most, they had a different bezel in the front with a different oh. name on it. But the body styles are the same. They had different decorative ribbing and little motifs on them. They were since it was a thermoplastic or bakelite of some sort, they're easy to make changes in the mold. Um, because there's not much to them. It's a front and a back. The back is usually metal in some cases, or it just clips on, sort of like an Argus A. The front part is just a simple simple sector shutter with a, a rudimentary lens. I mean, the lenses you can get today in one-time use cameras are phenomenally better than these pieces of glass that they stuck in these things. <laughs> if you go online to um, camerawiki.org, They've got a whole article about these. It's called the Chicago Cluster. So if you're interested in finding more about these, um, go to camerawiki.org, C-A-M-E-R-A-W-I-K-I.org, the free camera encyclopedia. And I think you'd have a lot of fun just looking at these and looking at the, at the, the similarities in all of them. Um, again, they're they pretty uh, rudimentary cameras. And you can also, if you have a copy of McEwen's, there's also a lot of information mm-hmm. in, in there about those. But certainly the Clixoflex, it's a pseudo-TLR. It's not really a real twin lens reflex. It just has, a, it's a, basically a box camera. Um, they're kind of fun, and they're, they're attractive. They're a little funky. If you can find some 127 film, or you could just do sprockets. In Absolutely. Them. Now's the time on sprockets, then we dance. <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. No one, you know, everyone says, and so certainly with those, um, the ones like the Super Photo or the Photo Master that take 127, they look like a much more, the designs are kind of cool. You could you could put run 35 millimeter in there and have a blast. If you're into uh, messing around with these older cameras, and let's say your cartridge won't, 35 millimeter cartridge won't fit in the camera, uh, I what I did personally is I went to eBay. I bought uh, the oldest, crappiest 127 roll of film I could find, mm-hmm. just for the backing paper. Once you have that spool and that backing paper, you could just keep reloading in the darkroom, 35 millimeter inside the backing paper, which makes it great because then you could shoot these cameras with right. sprockets and actually use the window on the right. back to count your exposures. That would be that makes it much more useful. Yeah, yeah. and for the, folks, I'm sorry. I was going to say with the 127, you almost have to do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, physically. And some of these cameras, because of their size, they did the half frame 127, yes, which gave you 16 images on. Oh, and no so kidding. they're and they would so they have two windows. Yes, so you have to go to the first one, take a picture, then move it the same number to the second window and take yes. a picture. Mind-boggling. It is. Yeah, it's a little and, confusing. Oh, it would drive us and, nuts and the in the lab when is, somebody dig one of those holes out. Oh, you know, yeah. and you have a. Long one twenty seven. Now it's supposed to be square. Oh no, it's half. Ah. <laughs> and, and not only that is that people today who don't use these old cameras, they get befuddled by the red window if they've never yes. used one before. What They're, is the red window? On yeah, the back? what is the, what is well, what is the red window on the back of the okay, camera? Okay, it's a little clear area with a. It uses red plastic, see, right. transparent plastic, so the light doesn't go through too much to uh, expose the film and it's got a series of numbers printed on it it shows you where if you centered the number in the red, red window it, you should be on the appropriate place to take an exposure in, on the roll of film and usually have a series of leading or trailing dots to make so you can see your progress so you just aren't going blind and all of a sudden the number pops up so it's it's leading you to the next frame and depending upon the the frame size in the camera it determines where the red window is because if it was right in the middle, then it's going to be pretty much a square format, like right. a 120. But if it's down in the corner, it's probably a 6x9 camera because they put the numbers there for each frame size in a different mm-hmm. position on the roll of film. Listeners who haven't experimented with roll film, whether it's 126, 20, 127, it's all kind of the same from the perspective that the film is rolled on a backing paper, and on the back of the backing paper are printed numbers, like you said, and when you roll it through your camera, the numbers correspond to the window, which you're talking about, the right. red oval window. Because I get these questions all the time, people buying 620 film, the most common question is hey how many exposures do i get on this roll mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with the roll of film it has to do with the camera right and the square you know the the size of the exposure you're taking so i mm-hmm. guess you would get eight eight exposures 12 exposures 16 exposures right based upon the camera that's why i always send folks over to mike buckus 
That's B-U-T-K-U-S, camera manuals. Google that. You can get the camera manual for your camera so you can see how many exposures it takes. It, it's kind of fun if you have a an old roll of 120 even, and you actually unroll it and you see how the numbers... Different numbers. The, the different, different numbers in yeah. different areas. Then it all fits together in your mind why that's happening. And, yeah. and if you have some of the, I think it's well, the Holgas, um, they have, remember they, the, on the Holgas they had a, a two-position p- place on the back for yes. 12 or 16. Yes. And people yep. would, would you know, according mm-hmm. to what frame size you had, you could mm-hmm. have a mask in there to use whatever frame size you wanted. Yeah. I like the square 12. Yeah. Square 12 is good. That's the report? Yep. That's the report. Thank you very much, Mark. When we come back, we're going to be talking about some film developing chatter, mostly about to stop or not to stop. That is the question. We'll be right back. It depends. Hey, it's Michael Rosso. And, you know, this time of year, the, the gift-buying time of year, I just, wanted to, I just wanted to give a quick intro to our FPP Plastic Filmtastic Debonair Camera. That's right, the FPP. That's right. The best thing since buttered bread, the FPP Debonair 120 Film Camera. So if you buy an FPP Debonair Camera, it's $19.99 U.S., Plus, you get a roll of film with it. It is the best bargain on the planet regarding medium format film. And the two, three, four, five thumbs up for the FPP Demonair are coming in daily via email. This really is a plastic film-tastic. It takes 16 shots per roll of 120 roll film. It's not a Holga. It's not a Diana. It's made at a mysterious, unknown factory in Hong Kong. Nice. Sometime in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And FPP just acquired a boatload. sitting in a box somewhere it. in a warehouse. All Literally these. a boatload. It has a uh, F8 60mm super lens. It's super. It has a uh, hot shoe on top. Hot, hot shoe. shoe. Ooh. And you you Stereo. folks out there can have this camera. Okay. Go to filmphotographyproject.com. You click the store, and then you go to uh, 120 film cameras, and there it is. So this is a great awesome. 120 star awesome. camera. Yes. If you've to. never shot 120 roll film before, this is the perfect camera to start, start with. Ooh, look at that, Dave. Perfect camera to start with, roll film. This is a good camera just to keep in your bag oh, because yeah. it's going to give you those dreamy good, good sound. double, triple, awesome. quadruple exposures. Sounds like a weed whacker. <laughs> <laughs> so check it out. And yeah, of course, it breaks, you could use it that's huge. <laughs> and of course, by visiting the filmphotographystore.com also helps keep us going here at the Film Photography Podcast. Thank you very much. We're back. That's right. You'll be able to take a nap now. I'm going to open up this segment with uh, a little uh, section I'm going to read out of uh, the um, January 1990 edition of American Photo. I referenced this magazine a few shows ago. What show? And uh, in the back, they're tech tips. And it goes to prove that, you know, you, you can't believe or, you know, everything you read isn't, like, in stone. I mean, even something like this, if to read this... You would think there's no other way because mm. it's in a published magazine. It's a tech tip, and the topic of the little paragraph is to stop or not to stop. We're talking about uh, developing your negatives in the darkroom where you put your negatives through a developer, a stop bath, a fixer, and then a wash. When I went to school for photography, um, we used a stop bath, and I didn't know anything different until only a few years ago when Probably you folks were like, stop bath, small bath. Just use water. So let me read this. Some photographers skip the use of an acid bath in their film processing. That's known as the stop bath. Mm -hmm. Relying instead on water rinse and the acidity of the fixer to neutralize developer action. This is a bad idea. A stop bath. Well, this is great because this is a contrast to... Exactly. Yeah. This is a bad idea. The stop bath should always be used for several reasons. Not only does it reduce the possibility of staining and diachronic fog, am I saying that right? Diachronic. Diachronic fog, mm-hmm. but it also extends the fixer's life and improves its hardening action, which depends on the acidity of the solution. A stop bath also permits greater control over short developing times by neutralizing development immediately 
Water simply slows the developer action. Finally, the stop also makes the film's emulsion less likely to soften and swell. Okay. Well, right. to read that, you'd think like, oh, my, oh my God. 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 I got to go right. get some stuff. I got to stop at. Yeah. Take the, it away. This goes back to episode 126. Okay. And we all talked about our favorite film developers. Yes, we but did. we kind of stopped there. And, and people have commented, what about the rest of the process? Yeah. Uh, from even Mike's little intro there, this is, right now, people are standing up all across America and the world, <laughs> and they're going to one side of the room and the other. And they're oh, getting yeah. their little monkey poop piles ready, and they're going to start throwing. Because <laughs> they're adamant about all of this. The problem with um, stop bath is, or acid stop, I think really goes back to years ago when all you could buy was glacial acetic acid. That stuff was pretty darn strong. Mm, yes. We mixed glacial acetic down to make 28%. From 28%, we diluted it again to make it film or paper worthy. Uh, you mix that a little wrong, you mix that a little strong, you're going to have a problem. Mm-hmm. But today we have, I, I'm i not sure, you may still be able to buy 28%, but we typically will buy, in the Kodak flavor, indicator stop bath. Right. That still requires dilution before use, so it could still be too strong. Um, and if the acid bath is too strong, you can get pinholes. There's a. That's how you got the pinholes. Yeah. Oh, now you tell me. It's a it's a formation of internal little gas bubbles and little black pinholes. But see, primarily it's from mixing it too strong. Um, indicator stop bath is typically what we use always for paper. It's really hard to process paper without an acid stop bath, and there are reasons we'll kind of talk about a little bit later, but. It's great stuff. You mix it up, it's light yellow, goes too far, turns purple, it's done. Throw right. it away. It's one of the greatest chemistries there is. It is the whole idea of a very alkaline developer stopping it with a very acid stop can be a shock. You can have those problems. The little air bell, not I don't say air bells. Air bells a totally different thing. The the blistering or the pinholes. And I've always used water as a stop bath. Why? That's how I was taught. Yeah. 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 I called up uh, my friend Professor Chris Walker. We were having a chat about this, and I said, "Okay, give me the scoop. Acid stopper water for your film." And he's an eight by tenner like Matt and very very precision in his processing and his shooting well uh, you know i don't like the shock on the film and then i said well what's the real reason you're not using you're using water over acid that's how i was taught (laughs) so uh, water is a very very effective and gentle stopping agent on film we are warned that we shouldn't process film any shorter than five minutes Okay. You do shorter than five minutes, that's a pretty critical timing. I would probably use an acid stop bath for that, but I don't do anything under five minutes. Right. So I I always used water. It It is archivally okay to do. I have negatives that were done like this that I now have inherited from my teacher. He always used water. They are still perfect to this day. There are other things that play into this, but um, he always used that darn water stop bath. Now, why don't we use the water for paper? For one thing, we are covering a physically a lot bigger piece. So some people are using that acid stop to preserve their fixer. Gotcha. Yes. As described with, here with, in the with, book. Yes, exactly. With film, that's not a lot of surface area. No. But with paper, that's a lot of surface area. You run a few 8x10s through there, you're going to see veiling in your fixer, which is, is exactly what it looks like. It looks veiled, and it's because it wasn't completely stopped. Water water just can't do that. You need to get an acid stop for paper. RC, fiber, doesn't matter. So it's just, I think, a difference of there being just physically more surface and volume needed to stop that. So indicator stop. If you do mix up your own acid be safe remember always mix acid into water don't 
water into acid because you don't want to splash. You may be splashing the acid part. Concentrated form can cause chemical burns, relatively harmless once we've got it diluted. Because you'll notice, stop bath smells like? Vinegar. Vinegar. It can be used in an emergency. Um, But that's the whole, and everybody, everybody. Mark? Depends. (laughs) <laughs> what does it depend on why why do you choose oh i think it may depend upon the developer i used mm-hmm. and again you talk about time and so for things that are like five minutes and so forth it might be so i'll go ahead and do that if i've got d76 diluted one to one it's 11 minutes long doesn't matter you know, it's going to be the other thing that if you just use water, because it is in a developing tank, you can just shake that bugger around mm-hmm. and you, you're done. You know, you don't have to do anything else. So I usually run about three changes of water with really good agitation. Okay. In, out, in, out. Yep. That's more than I do. I just do so one. You do one. Yep. And then Matt said with his um, uh, Pyrocat, water. Okay. Mike? Water. Water. I mean, only because. It was how you were yeah. taught. <laughs> no, I was taught. I was taught stop bath. You yeah. were, but when okay. I found out, like, oh, I don't really need this step. Mm-hmm. I just use the water. Sure. Yeah. And uh, I, I really haven't given it a second thought. And this is for film only because I haven't printed in many years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I certainly definitely use stop bath for for printing. Absolutely. Um, and you know, there's all there's also a core a number of people who want to say. What household chemicals can we use in photography, right? Sure. And so you've got people doing caffeinol and so forth. Well, you don't have to have a stop bath, but if you are going to have a stop bath, you can use vinegar. It's just mm-hmm. fine. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, you can. For paper or for film? Either one. You can really use White it for either or, one. Or red? White. White. Okay. Mm-hmm. White vinegar, by the way, not to get off on a tangent, but we haven't had tangents very often, is one of these high household items like uh, baking soda. Yes, and white vinegar. Mix them. No, <laughs> <laughs> that that are so useful. You know, we're always out buying cleaning products, but they're right here. Especially, you know, cleaning your co- coffee pot. Uh-huh. White vinegar, as you probably yeah. know. Oh yeah. Uh, what are all the uses for white vinegar? Cleaning windows. Is that right? Sure, yeah. glass. Yeah, yes, clean glass. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, of course. Oh, if you happen to set your kitchen on fire like I did, because I was roasting vegetables. Uh, after you've gotten the flames calmed down and everything's cool to go back in there, baking soda. Throw oh, it yeah. in there and then right. come back in, spray vinegar on it, clean it up. Yeah. I'm never I'm never using it again because it looks so pretty in there, but there you go. <laughs> right. Vinegar. Yep. Now I'm thinking, could we get could we get some bromothymol violet and put it in there and make our own indicator? I Stop don't see it. why you couldn't. Wow. Because it's just simply a pH indicator. Right. And when the pH gets too far away, it changes color. Whoa. Well, <laughs> I, don't else. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But, yeah. you know, next step, we've got this stop, but it's still not light safe. You can still ruin it. So we need to stabilize this image so it's no longer sensitive to light. And that's our next chemical bath in this whole process of finishing up our um, film processing. We've got to remove the unexposed silver halide and leave behind, what's left behind is what we make our prints with. So we have to fix it. Fixation. Fix it. Fits right in. And now, there again, it gets controversial again. Nah. I know. Uh, it does kind of. I, okay. Hardening, mm. non-hardening. Oh, tell us. Yeah, it is. You have to treat your paper, your film with a thiosulfate salt. And there are two types. There is sodium and there is ammonium. Oh. Sodium is always thought of. It typically comes as a powder form. A lot of times it's called hypo. Yes. I never did, but the and the other one's simply or regular fixer. Ammonium thiosulfate is almost always supplied to you as a liquid. It may or may not have a hardener built into it. Sodium never does. It is thought of as a rapid fixer because it's nearly twice as fast in your fixing times. The basic difference between the two that people choose them at first is because of the time, I think. There again, I liked the liquid or the ammonium because you mix it. You can mix this at your temperature that you need. If you go in and you 
want to mix it, it's too old, you can mix it and use it. Whereas when it's anything else like the powder, you've got to get it hot enough to melt and then back off. So these are all mixed as working solutions. Typically, you do not dilute them further to use them. It's a reusable chemistry. Use it, pour it back. Ammonium or rapid fix, like I say, most often has that hardener built in. Kodak makes three fixers. They make the sodium. You buy it as a powder. You may, you can buy Codafix. Not many people know about Codafix. Mm. It is a rapid fix. It's ammonium, and it has hardener built in. It's not an option. Then there is Kodak Rapid Fix. That comes in many sizes because a lot of different types of people use it. Consumers use it. You can buy this stuff to I've got I've got twenty five gallon cubes of the part A I knock down in the store. The hardening agent, usually I believe sulfuric acid. That's right. Uh-huh. Is a separate unit. You have the choice of adding this in. Now another reason that people use one over the other is because sodium thiosulfate is a lot easier to wash out. They say once you use ammonium with a hardener, it becomes difficult. You've got to use a long wash. You may need help with this later. Um, I've got on with the, the new 55 and the monobath craze that's kind of going on. Everybody is using Ilford fixers to make their monobath. All right, I got cubitainers of these of Kodak Rapid Fix. I'm not going to buy some. I'm thinking, what's the difference? So the difference is it's ammonium thiosulfate without the hardener. Siphoned myself up, made my own mono bath. Fun stuff to use. So it worked very well by simply not adding in the hardener. Why do we need the hardener? It yeah, supposedly why? makes our film <laughs> tougher, so we can't scratch it or gouge it or do that kind of thing. Right. Except emulsions have been harder for years. Gotcha. But it's still, you know, they're just a lot less, uh, more durable than they were. Um, like, if you, like X-ray film, for example. Isn't that a, mm, very soft? That's super soft, yes. Yeah. And that, Matt even mentioned that a little bit ago that he likes that hardening fixer for that. But there's a lot of people, if they're doing PyroCat, don't want that hardening fixer. Some of this can mess your staining up, and that's a staining developer. Mm-hmm. So you make your choices on what you need, um, your time frame, the ease of it, or use what you've always used because it's probably working for you. But then we get down to... Getting it off of the film once we put it on. Do you use a hypo-clearing agent? Mm. Hypo-clearing agents, I think, are brilliant. We've got a couple steps left. We've got to wash our film, prepare it to dry. This is after-fixer? After-clearing agent. Yes. I haven't heard those words since college. I used to use it. It's not hypo-eliminator. That's totally different. There are no hypo-eliminators. Hypo-clearing agent. The brand I have used from round one is Permawash oh, okay. by Hico. Yeah, easy to mix up. Not the same mm-hmm. as PhotoFlow. No, no, totally different. different. Okay, mm-hmm. good. because what what this does, it actually is an ion exchange, an ion change when this hits it. But it's going to take a recommended one hour wash film down to three minutes. No, so it's one minute. Your fixtures back in the container. There's no wash in between. Right. You go. Well, I'm sorry. There is a wash. There's a one minute wash. There is a one-minute one minute soak in permawash. There's a one-minute final wash. You are done. It is the most economical use of water ever. Mm, okay. I think of the gallons and gallons and gallons of water I have saved over my film-developing career by using permawash. Let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. If you're not using hypo-clearing agent, yes. how long... After your fix, are you supposed to wash your film? Depending on the film and the manufacturer's recommendations, it can be 30 minutes or it can be one hour. Well, I, but I use the Ilford method. But, but see, I'm still thinking I am still smoking you on water usage. Yeah, you are. And I know Alex Lauk uses the Ilford method, and I'm thinking three minutes. Three minutes up, I'm done. Minute up, minute down, minute up, down, I'm out of here, you know, type of thing. And... um my my very first negatives, I'm going to tell you when I shot them, but I just started shooting when I was 10, that I hand-processed still look great. It's cons- it's called an archival wash. It's mm. also used for papers. It will dramatically reduce down fiber base. Oh, takes yeah, a long time definitely. to wash. Wash it. I think the longest maybe is five minutes wash, five minutes perma wash, five minutes wash. That's fiber base. 
RC, 30 seconds, 30 seconds, 30 seconds. Yeah. Done. It's really fast with RC. It, it is very fast. And Permawash is simply the name for this hypoclearing agent. Kodak actually made a product called hypoclearing agent. And Ilford makes a product. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you its name right now, but they make a product that does this too. For me, it's brilliant. Love it. Got to have it. I'm moving on. After that, there's a choice of hanging to dry or there's photo flow. So if you have some water spots, you have hard water, uh, you want spot-free shine when you're done, right. <laughs> you know, then you can mix yourself up some photo flow. And it simply cuts the surface tension. If you're really desperate, the tiniest drop, tiniest drop of dishwashing liquid will do the same thing. That finishes up your whole process. We've now developed, stopped, fixed, hanging up. There's a few things that people never really, really, really talk about. Secret. Secret things. Things that can make a big difference. Yes, you may you may have noticed. Sometimes I shoot Tri-X and I kind of like the grain. Next time I shoot Tri-X, why is it grainier? A little bit grainier. It seems to be great. The more you can keep your film from being wet, the finer the grain. Emulsion swells. Keep everything as short as possible. Biggest thing is keeping all of those temperatures close to the same. Yeah. We don't think about that much beyond 68 degrees for my developer. We don't ever really think I of, don't. <laughs> of anything else. We turn the faucet on and go. Right. It doesn't rip the skin off your hand. It's not too hot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, type of thing. But, but as you... Um, get into this and you're really starting to look at your film and improving your technique you'll want to keep every step the same there again i go back to permawash those are such short times that helps me do that rather than you know keeping that faucet running a lot of personal preference with this a lot of the films that you use such or the developers you use such as a staining developer like pyrocat may indicate which some of these projects, which these projects that you actually, products that you use may change that whole sequence for you. But the whole thing is find what works for you. Um, check out reputations like has Permawash been around forever? Is it really archival? Yeah, all these companies pretty much are at this point. But have fun with it. Work safe with it. We're working with chemicals. And if you do it right, you're leaving negatives for generations. Not me. <laughs> you never know. I don't know. Unless you're you know, Brett Weston, he had his alls burned. I'm doing. Oh. let's let's say D seventy six. My classic, you know, mm-hmm. pre wash my mm-hmm. uh, black and white negatives. Six minutes to sixty eight degrees. Yep. Water stop bath. Mm-hmm. Uh, fixer. Mm-hmm. And it's the rapid fix. Mm-hmm. And that this is where like this is where it ends for me. It's like uh, wash after fix. Eh, two minutes. Gotcha. And then after that two minutes, photo flow, hang, scan, archival. Uh, I, need, I don't know if you need to archival them at that point. This What's probably, happening here? Probably not a long enough wash for you. What is it? That, that means the fixer's staying on? Yeah, yeah especially, see, the ammonium thiosulfate, the rapid fix, is harder to wash out than the sodium, the powder. I use always use the powder. Do you? You yep. always use the powder? Yep. Oh, what is the powder Kodak fix? What is that called? Uh, it's called Kodak Fixer, General Purpose Fixer. Oh, that's what I'm using. Okay, package. Yes. Not some of the stuff I gave you. I gave you some liquids occasionally too. Uh, right now I'm on the the powder. The powder fix. But I have it's some little, liquid as well. A little bit easier to wash out. But um, if you don't do that six minute wash in, uh, after your fix, what is it that's staying on the film, and what will it do to your film at, over time? Silvers out. It's a term called silvering out. You look at old negatives sometimes, and you see them or, or silvery. Old they look like a fish you, fish uh, mm. skin. Mm-mm. Is that what you're talking about? Mm-mm. No. Silver, right on it. Sometimes it creeps in from the edges. Uh, if you, so you can see it on here. If you do, exactly, oh, silvering I, do, out. Yeah, I can't. What mm-hmm. is happening here? It's an old photograph that was not properly archivally washed. And oh, if I you simply don't properly fix... Then they simply just get darker right. and stain. But that's oh. it's a tricky thing to scan if you have to scan now, those for a living. But apply to color film as well? N- no. 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 It does not. Because we're using dyes more than we are using yes. strictly metallic silver. So. And is there... Do you think there's an issue wasting water or not really? I always think there's an issue wasting water. Always. 
Wow. We as a, we there yeah. we then as a, we as Americans don't even think about water usage. And we, we waste a lot of water. And like I said when I think about the water that I personally have saved, I'm not a good recycler. But the amount of water has been amazing. So Right. Mm-hmm. So so I've learned something today from the FPP, which is I need to wash my negatives longer after mm-hmm. the fix. Mm-hmm. And, or or buy a bottle of permawash. And that's what you're what are you using, Mark? Well, I used to use permawash, and then I got lazy, and then I, I've used it. I mostly use it if I'm doing any fiber printing because it does save the wash time a huge amount of time. <coughs> what the other thing, but I use the Ilford method for washing, which is basically I fill the tank, um, and I shake. I shake it actually like a cocktail shaker is what I do. It. Some people they say invert it, invert it. No, I'm sitting there like I'm I'm in the band and I'm playing the playing the instrument and it's shaking, and I'll do that. I'll empty it. And it usually gets shaken. I do it by minutes rather than by how many inversions. But let's say I shake it 50 times. I empty it out, do it again. I repeat three times. It's right. three washes of water. And then when I've got it actually, I'm ready to, to um, take, before I take the film out, I fill the tank one more time with the top off. I put in a drop of PhotoFlow. And I just swish it the whole thing up and down and get little bubbles and so forth. Let it sit for a little bit before I take it out. Now, one thing I did find, I in the wintertime, I always have a spotting problem because, and I'm not sure, and I and I think part of that is there's something different in the water chemistry in the in the in the wintertime. So, but and and not so much in the summer. But what I ended up doing is in the summertime we have our dehumidifier going in the basement and it fills up a little basin and I have to empty it out. Well, that is all just it's it's water with nothing else in it so there's no additives and mm-hmm. i use that for washing my film and it comes out beautifully every okay. time some people may find that uh, they do the perma wash or i'm sorry not the perma wash the photo flow step and they may have these little run marks yeah they've mixed it too strong yeah it needs to be very just very a little weak. tiny drop it really is mm-hmm. to do the job and if you want some fun you could throw it in a water fountain somewhere outside and watch it just bubble like crazy <laughs> Did I say that? Did you say that? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that 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 completes it. Yep. But expect letters. Okay. Podcast <laughs> at filmphotographyproject.com. We would like to hear from you. And uh, thank you, Leslie. You're welcome. Stop or no stop. We have two quick letters, and then we're gonna we're gonna hit the road, the Champagne Road, because it's uh, you know the holiday season. Oh, that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. And jingle bells. Uh, jingle bells and all that. This is from Joe Solanus, and it's regarding slide mounts. And he says, I have a couple of things to talk about. Okay, Joe, no problem. He said, you read my previous letter on your big slide film show. I told you about some reusable plastic mounts that my dad has left over from his days at an old photo lab. That's called True Color Labs in Paramus, if you've heard of them. Yes, I have. Mm -hmm. I'm from New Jersey. Since then, I've learned that they were called dupe mounts, and they were made by a company called Wess. Yes, W-E-I-S-S? W-E-S-S. Here, he says. W-E-S-S, maybe. I don't know. I'm guessing, Joe, you're correct. It seems like they still have a functioning website at wessmounts.net. W-E-S-S-M-O-U-N-T-S dot net. Now, they seem to be mostly useful for people who soup their own E6 and want to make slideshows without having to keep buying mounts. E6. I guess you could reuse them. Sure, you yeah. can. They, it's actually kind of a mount with a insert on the center. You slip it in, you put the little frame over, it's all done. Oh, yep. yeah. yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, Joe also says, I also just started college at your alma mater, William <sighs> Patterson University. Bill, Bill on the Hill, Bill right? Bill on the Hill. Uh, they still have a dark room. And I'm not a photo major, but I'm going to do whatever I can to wiggle my way in there. One last thing. What happened to Polaroid? You guys, he's <laughs> talking about us. You guys haven't been talking about Impossible 2.0 film. I guess it's because you guys have a lot more going on now than, than, than you did back in 2012. Well, I don't know. I, I think all of us have, you know, we're still. I'm still a Polaroid shooter, an instant shooter. I still love it. I shoot a lot of Instax, but I'm, I guess, felt that we've covered it and that we're on. I'm on to, you know, lots of other things that I wasn't before: hand mm-hmm. roll films, sure. and large format film. 
Uh, Joe says, Any, anyways, keep up the good shoes, and I may have something to donate soon. Great, Joe. That's awesome. Fun. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, 2016, we'll, I'm sure we'll rotate a back around to some instant mm-hmm. instant chatter. Uh, this is from Austin Smith from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Austin says, the amazing FPP store, exclamation point. Best on the web, exclamation Yay. point. Hey, so pleased to do business with you fine folks. Love the show. Very inspiring. Read, G-A-S inducing. That is a gear acquisition syndrome. Yes, it is. Going to roll my own 35 millimeter and soup it at home with much of what's in this order. I guess this is a, this film order. Mm-hmm. His FPP store order. Look, <laughs> looking forward to receiving it. Much love and keep shooting, Austin. Well, thanks. That's great feedback from folks who use the FPP online store and they get uh, great service and they're getting a product that they really love. And that, that's, that's what I love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's what drives me. And that's why the stores, I think, is so great because there's a lot of love put into it. And as we all know, yes, it's all about the love. It is all about the love. And having said that, uh, I will wish everyone a super holiday season. Uh, I'm going to play some of our favorite holiday songs, uh, namely uh, Looking for Santa by the Hungry Dutchman. <laughs> uh, the video is on our YouTube channel. certainly will be linked on our Facebook page this holiday season. Uh, uh, John Fidelli and I shot the music video back in 1988, which every year is one year older. <laughs> uh, podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. Mark, thanks for having us here in your uh, remote studio. Oh, you're welcome. It was a pleasure having you here. Great having you, Leslie. Uh, thanks to Matt. He had a, had a leave uh, a little while ago. And, of course, not on the show, but the Jersey Boys. Thanks, thanks a lot. And we hope to see everyone in 2016. I'm sure it's going to be a fabulous year of film photography. Again.
Phineas T. Prune was a multi-zillionaire with a pickle face. He didn't like Christmas, he didn't like Santa Claus, and most of all, he didn't like children. Mr. Prune decided to make children unhappy by taking Christmas away from them. He went up to the North Pole and promised Santa a billion dollars if he would stop giving Christmas presents to children. Naturally, Santa refused. So Mr. Prune took his billion dollars and bought the whole North Pole and became Santa's landlord. And he raised the rent so high, nobody could pay it, least of all Santa Claus. He told Santa to have the rent money by December 24th, Christmas Eve, or he would take all the presents away as payment. Ha, 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 ha.